It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are live here at SEC Media Days with the man who is in charge of all of it, SEC Commissioner Greg Zenke. How you doing, Greg? I'm well, thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for being part of SEC Football Media Days. If we don't have media here, we have SEC Days, which probably wouldn't be very interesting. Sure. Well, I mean, we're glad to be here. And I was going to ask you, this whole Media Days feels like a party of sorts. Do you feel like you're kind of hosting the party, like you're in charge of all this going on a little bit? There is, you know, and being in downtown Nashville so close to Broadway has probably heightened that, that notion. Without a question, kind of the capital of the South, so to speak. Yeah, and, and this, there's a bit of a social aspect here, kind of naturally, as is, is, uh, writers and commentators move along and have different conversations and come to know um, different communities, different people. Um, it's it's uh, a fun few days. Without a doubt. Well, we appreciate you making time. I want to ask you this regarding NIL. Is there a world that you could see where conference commissioners provide NIL guidance or a situation where you have to wait on the NCAA and state legislation? Because no real plans from the NCAA just yet. Well, we've, we, we have a couple complexities. One is we have states that have set laws that limit some of that ability, or at least are intended to limit some of that ability. It really it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the conference is, no conference has its own NIL policy. So states are saying, uh, we haven't even seen what will be reasonable guidelines that conferences might develop, and we're not going to let you oversee and enforce those. And, and so that, that, that approach is one that nobody's really been effective at explaining the why. Uh, we have had conversations about conference policy, so it's not just commissioners dictating direction. It would be our membership coming together around a set of policies. Um, we also have to be attentive to the fact that we're involved in litigation on almost an ongoing basis. And, and that litigation does limit some of the options right now. And that may not seem apparent outside the, the world of college sports, but that's a reality we deal with. Um, and that's part of the complexity of the situation we're facing. What is your view on revenue sharing, specifically with individuals who you would con consider you know, revenue-producing athletes, essentially college football players? Uh, the state of California, through its assembly, um, introduced, and I think they advanced a bill to the Senate that contemplated revenue sharing. So that's really the one specific description of a model. Um, I think the, the question is really incomplete because it doesn't consider that unlike professional sports, uh, we're subject to Title IX requirements. That's a reality. Um, the California bill allocated a very different level of revenue to three sports, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, by percentage, that on its face appeared to be a violation of Title IX requirements. And a state can't pass a law and include a clause that says nothing about this law should be construed as a violation of Title IX. That's not the way this works. Um, there's also important issues around employment law that have to be considered. And our student athletes are not asking us to be employees. In fact, they've been very clear they don't want to be. There are implications from that that are not all um, roses and sunshine for them. Uh, I, I think what has to be understood, too, is just this notion of redirecting revenue by some mandate or law will alter greatly the student-athlete experience that's now provided. 
So medical care, mental wellness care, academic support, nutritional support, uh, travel, the ability to accommodate uh, um, student athletes who are, are moving around for different needs, be it internships, uh, a career exploration. Uh, we're in the summertime where our programs are sending groups of student athletes abroad, both for competitive purposes, for service purpose separate from competition and for learning purposes. All of those things are impacted when we change the, the economics of college sports. And, and lastly, uh, I think it's important to note that our colleges and universities provide the foundation for our Olympic movement and our Olympic success. And if you change significantly the economics of college sports, you change our Olympic development, our Olympic training, and our Olympic support model. And that has like big picture implications on medal podiums. And so uh, I understand the question. Uh, I understand the motivation for some in California. I just think it's been a really incomplete dialogue on realities that actually are the assets, the benefits currently present now in college sports that would be significantly affected if we went down that road. When it comes to hot topics in college sports, you got NIL and then right behind it or right up there with it, transfer portal. Yeah. In a perfect world, what would you change about the transfer portal as it stands right now? I, I would not have had both um, events layered on each other immediately. It's like going to the doctor and being prescribed two medicines when you're ill and you don't know which one helped you. You know, that's not the way medicine works, but that's the way NIL and transfer freedom has, has happened. So let's go back. Um, we had COVID. We had a move to a one-time transfer exception that was going to apply to all sports. Remember back five years ago, five sports all served a year of residence and every other sport had a one-time transfer exception, could transfer and play right away. But there was a level of control in there that had to be reconsidered. And then in the, in the interim, in the middle, around COVID era, there was no one-time transfer. It was kind of freedom. There was no, no expectation of timing for declarations. So post-COVID, the NCAA has been directed to move back to the one-time transfer exception. So a young person has one opportunity to say, you know what, I want to go someplace else and play right away. Um, I, I think that can be educationally sound. Uh, there's also been clear messaging the NCAA that get out of this waiver business. Um, and I, I hope that will, will take place. Um, I think, not I think, the reality was there was a 365-day transfer declaration mm -hmm. window. Mm -hmm. That's now narrowed to 60 days. I think that should be shortened greatly. I think it went on too long. We needed to do something. We addressed it by going from 365 down to 360. The research shows that young people in the first 10 days in the, in the majority of circumstances are deciding whether to enter the transfer portal or not. Lastly, we have to be attentive to the educational outcomes that are impacted by transfers. You actually reduce the likelihood of graduation. When you transfer, you lose credits. The more you transfer, the more you inhibit that, that uh, likelihood of graduation. And, and we need to be mindful over time of what's actually happening because we are engaged in an educational endeavor. This is not all about transferring and accessing playing time. Now, us as college football fans, tradition is so important to, to the fabric of this sport. And right now, there's so much going on with the evolution of college football and the landscape is changing. And with you being the person who I think a lot of people look to for direction for the sport, how do you go about navigating that? Well, I, I look locally first. I think one of the unique aspects of our expansion is the ability to restore rivalries 
Um, we, we do impact the conference's membership, which, you know, is just one of those tough circumstances. But uh, the Texas and Arkansas rivalry that goes back decades and decades, obviously uh, A&M in Texas, but also Oklahoma, Missouri, we're both part of the Big Eight. Um, and, and so we want to we want to honor those traditions from our scheduling standpoint. That's actually a key question for us in the number of those games of passion, those high intense rivalry games. How often are they going to be played? Is it every other year or every year? Um, I would hope. In fact, I wrote a letter to, to our membership saying from from our perspective, it'd be nice if everybody stayed where they were for a while. Now, I don't get to decide that. People can criti- they have criticized <laughs> me, me, me for saying that. Um, but, you know, some, some calmness so that we can onset the expanded college football playoff. We have a new NCAA president who's going to have some new thoughts. Um, I've spoken about potentially considering expansion of the NCAA basketball tournament. That's something traditional. But the traditional went from 16 to 32 to 48 to 64 to 68. I don't think you have to just ignore the special nature of March Madness by blowing the bracket up to some huge number. But I think some incremental adjustment can be positive as more and more commitments are made to support high-level programs, particularly in men's and women's basketball. So I think we have to be in dialogue about what makes college special. Marching bands, uh, fans in big stadiums, Saturday afternoons, Saturday evenings, playing games on campus. Those all are special pieces and Roy Kramer the sixth commissioner of the SEC visited with me almost 30 years ago and he said what makes college football special is its impact on campus Mm. and that needs to be at the forefront of our thinking. I think a lot of college football fans that just heard you say that are like yes yes Greg Sankey is is one of us talking about fall Saturday afternoons what makes a special and marching bands and Texas I, and Oklahoma. I still enjoy listening to games on radio which is like <laughs> I mean that's as traditional as you can get absolutely no without a doubt and uh I guess tradition two traditional schools Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC next year I mean they'll be here next year SEC media days in Dallas from a Saturday product perspective what do you expect them to contribute to the SEC Well, they'll be in addition to 14 incredible programs and 14 universities. So right now, over the last 25 years, six different SEC football programs have won national championships. I I think if you look at the other conferences, the most in, in any other one conference is two. When you add Oklahoma and Texas, over the last 25 years, we will have had eight of our 16 members win college football national championships. What that speaks to is the highest level of football competition that stands unique from all other conferences at this level. Um, There's a rigor, there's an excitement, uh, there's an intensity. Uh, The young people who attend want to be part of all of that and challenge themselves. And many prepare for their next opportunity athletically to see if they can they can achieve the NFL. But even NFL players come back and speak about the special experiences on our campuses. That's why going back to your earlier question, I'd like us to be even more thoughtful about how we manage transfers in the future. Staying in that vein of expansion, since the announcement of Texas and OU going to be joining the SEC, we've had the dominoes kind of start falling. I mean, USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, been a lot of buzz around Florida State and what they may or may not do, which kind of brings me to my last question. Do you expect the SEC, or is the door open, rather, for the SEC for future expansion? We're focused on our growth to 16. There's there's a lot of work that has been done. There's a lot of work still to be done in advance of July 1st, 2024. Uh, we're very mindful of what's happening around us. I've, I'm not a recruiter. I've not been a recruiter. Uh, we want to do things so well that people are interested in 
and being a part of us. That's literally what happened with Oklahoma and Texas. But our focus very clearly is on 16. It's not on, on further growth with the understanding that uh, we may have to adapt to the circumstances around us, and we're always going to be attentive and prepared uh, should that need arise. Absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time. And uh, enjoy the rest of the media. It's almost there. Almost, almost there. Almost the thank finish you. line. We'll thank do. you so Thanks much. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely incredible. Again, that's the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, spending some time with us. We appreciate him making time. And that's just kind of the nature of media days, folks. You got Radio Row. You got anybody and everybody, including the most powerful man when it comes to collegiate athletics and college football. And we're just here living the dream, y'all. An absolute movie of a time as we're just kind of assembling the set live in living color as we're on air. And as we were getting going, we're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to get Greg Sankey on the show. And he's like, I can do 10 a.m. It's like, well, Mr. Sankey, show goes live at 10 a.m. And we are absolutely going to make a way to have you on. That's happening. No ifs, ands, or buts. So here we are. Apologize for all of y'all that were tuned in to the countdown clock. Got to make a play when Greg Sankey says he's available. That's just the way it works now. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. We got a lot to unpack here. So fired up for y'all to be here as we are live from SEC Media Days. If it wasn't already apparent, we got a lot to jump into. It is July 20th, 2023, the last one in history. So we're about to make it an absolute movie. We got a ton to dive into. We were just joined by the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, an absolute phenomenal conversation we got a lot to talk about though we got the top schools in the country here at sc media days we got tennessee we got Ole Miss, we got south carolina here today and tennessee is fresh off of a big time get on the recruiting show mike matthews last night on this very platform gave his verbal commitment to the tennessee volunteers and that was an absolute enormous get for the Vols. We're going to break down where they're at right now and what that indicates for the good people on Rocky Top and what that means for them when it comes to the future in Knoxville. Also, it's about that time of year where you start looking at the rosters and you start looking at how they're made up and you say, okay, who, who could break out here? Who could, be, who could be a guy that ends up shining on Saturdays that nobody's really keeping a great gauge on? I'm going to give you our top breakout players in the Southeastern Conference. Also, in addition to all that, the Pulse the Program series rolling right along. And I told you, South Carolina, they're on the mic today. So we got to make sure that we talk about them and give a, a good pulse of what's going on internally within that feminist and also internally within that building. Where do things stand for South Carolina? Again, appreciate y'all being tuned in. We got a lot to jump into. Just had to get after it with Greg Sankey being able to be here. We make sure that when he is able to jump on, we make time and, and we organize whatever we have to organize to get him on the show. And that's just the way it works when the commissioner of the biggest and best conference in college football says, yeah, I got time. If he's got time, we got time. So without further ado, let's jump into what else we got today. And I want to start with the breakout players in the SEC like we alluded to just a little bit ago. This is kind of that time of year where you start looking at the roster and seeing, okay, what four-star, what five-star is where, who's wearing the depth chart, all that. And I think we got to start in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with a freshman who, no joke, could very realistically be the best player on the roster, and that's safety. Five-star freshman safety, Caleb Downs. And Caleb Downs, to be real, he's just a ball player. Like, Caleb Downs came out of the womb and knew he could play some football. He's a playmaker on the field, and his skill set can be summed up in two things. Charles Power loves this about him. Cerebral, cerebral football player. He, he's very good at reading what's going on with the offense. And the second thing, he's instinctual. 
Like you, you can't teach instincts, man. You can try your best. You can do what you can to try and, you know, get them in the right spot. But, what, you know, when you're between the white lines, it's all you. And so Caleb Downs has always been an instinctual football player. You don't need to teach a shark how to swim. You don't need to teach a horse how to run. You don't need to teach Batman how to fight Joker. Caleb Downs, you never need to teach him instinctually how to play the position. And he's a guy that had that everybody talking factor during the spring. A lot of people watch what was going on at Alabama during spring practice, and they're like, hey, who's that number two out there running around in the secondary? For those that hadn't kept up with recruiting, uh, that's Caleb Downs, and he's very, very likely going to be a guy that contributes for you in a very big way as a freshman in Tuscaloosa. Like I already mentioned, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like the video. Let's keep this thing rolling here. Everybody that's tuned in live, you could give us a little thumbs up on that icon under the live show. That would be phenomenal. So appreciate you in advance for that. Let's keep on rolling here. Now, we're going to talk about the Vols in just a second, what they're doing on the recruiting trail. But let's go ahead and uh, take a look at what they're doing when it comes to some breakout players this coming season. And a guy that's going to break out is a transfer wide receiver from the University of Oregon, Dante Thornton. And Dante Thornton is a guy who is just a one-on-one -on -one nightmare. Let's back up a little bit. What wins one-on-one -on -one in college football, especially at the wide receiver position? Size and speed. Dante Thornton is six foot five. That's real tall, playing the wide receiver position. He's been reported to run a four four forty yard dash. That's real fast. The Tennessee offense creates more mismatches than Tinder, and so Dante Thornton's going to get a lot of one on one coverage. You're going to split him out wide and let that dude eat. That four four speed, that six foot five size. He's going to be a matchup problem Saturday in and Saturday out, and this offense under Josh Heupel. Expect him to do numbers like Goodwill Hunting with that production left by Jalen Hyatt and the size left by Cedric Tillman and all the things they want to do with that big body that he has. I'm telling you now, big things coming from Dante Thornton. Expect him to eat greedy in Knoxville this coming season. Now, this next player I want to talk about, not getting nearly enough buzz. This is probably the one that we would sign our name next to and say, yeah, yeah, this is the one player that we think we are probably ahead of the curve on when it comes to this breakout conversation, and that is running back at Kentucky, transfer from NC State, Demi Sumo Kongbe. And I did a hit with another outlet earlier this week, and I just absolutely butchered his name. I mean, it, it was horrible. So I'm going to call him DSK for the rest of this segment, but he is going to be a guy for Kentucky, and here's why. When you watch him at NC State, sort of limited sample size. You don't have a ton to go off of from his game tape, but in the games where he got a lot of carries, look at the Eastern Carolina game for NC State early in the year. Look at the, the game against Texas Tech for NC State, and the way that he ran the football he is a guy that is getting his foot in the ground and getting downhill. He's not calling. He's not texting. He's just going. And that's how he gets down when he runs the football. He runs big, probably bigger than he is, runs behind his pads really effectively. In this offense now for Kentucky, it's going to be very pro style under Liam Cohen. They're going to depend on him to pound the rock. They're going to depend on him to be able to get north and south quickly. We're talking three yards a carry, four yards a carry. For Demi Sumo Kongbe, DSK, he's averaging on his career five and a half yards a carry. Again, limited sample size, not a ton of carries, but where there's smoke, there's fire, and I think he's going to have a big season for Kentucky. A nice little compliment to what they have on the outside. We talked about it already. they got some weapons now. Varian Brown, Dane Key, Tavian Robinson, Devin Leary can sling the pill around. Going to be a dude for you at Kentucky this coming season. Upped up on the uh, offensive line. They re-upped through the portal, rather. Like, keep an eye on Kentucky. DSK set for a... Big-time season 
down there in Lexington. Last player I want to talk about here. Let's talk about an edge for Georgia. True sophomore, Michael Williams. Michael Williams is six foot five, 265 pounds. He looks like Optimus Prime on the defensive line for Georgia. He was the number two overall player for us here at On3 in that 2022 cycle. Had a very real case to be the number one player. He's a dude that got on the field for Georgia as a true freshman. Y'all, to be, to be on the defensive line as a true freshman, your first year on campus, and play for Georgia, that, that speaks volumes to this kid's ability, to his maturity, to his acumen to digest that scheme. And he's such a freak show. He's everything that you would want if you were to build an ideal edge defender. He's twitched up. He's great size, six foot five, 265 pounds, like I already mentioned. The thing with him, the reason why he's going to break out this coming season, apart from his ability and all that he has physically, it is going to be virtually impossible to consistently double-team him. Like, if he shows up and he starts wrecking shop, if you want to commit extra blockers to him, like, you can do that if you want, but then guess what? Nazir Stackhouse, he gets to eat. The rest of that defensive line, they get to eat greedy. So do so if you want to, but it just creates more problems for you. So if you give him one-on-one throughout the course of a season, throughout the course of a game even, it's going to create problems for you. Had two sacks in the college football playoff. Michael Williams about to break out in a very, very big way. For, for, forget just the, the Southeastern Conference. Talking about a national stage, Michael Williams going to be a dude that you need to make sure you are watching this coming season. So those are our breakout players in the Southeastern Conference. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Make sure you like the video if you haven't already. Make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. Man, we got some big commitments coming. About to talk about one of them here in a minute. We had Mike Matthews commit to Tennessee last night on this very platform. And I'll tell you what, I don't think Tennessee's done. I, don't think, I think they are still rolling. And I think that for Josh Heupel and company, they've just got this thing to such a point where the product on the field, I think, speaks for itself to a degree. You've seen the offensive system. You've seen what they got on the, the perimeter. You've seen what they have at the quarterback position. You've seen what Josh Heupel's building. I'm excited. I think we're going to sit down with him here at SEC Media Days. I think we're going to sit down with Joe Milton as well. Should be a real, real good time. But again, appreciate everybody tuned in live. Also, make sure you get your questions in to the keeper of the queue, Nick Break. Going to be breaking those down here in just a little bit, no pun intended. So want to hear from y'all. Get those in the live chat. And we'll have ourselves a good old time. Now, I'm just shuffling and moving around our set. Again, we're live at SEC Media Days. We're trying to get this shot right for us, trying to make sure that we got a, a good picture for y'all. But like I said, let's keep on rolling here. Tennessee had an absolutely massive get last night on the recruiting trail. Five-star wide receiver, Mike Matthews, gave his commitment to the Tennessee Vols, gave him a commitment over Georgia. He's from the state of Georgia. Gave his commitment over Clemson, over USC. Like, he, he picked the Vols, and he had a lot of options, did Mike Matthews. So what are they getting in a five-star wide receiver in Mike Matthews? Six foot and a half, 180 pounds, six foot six wingspan. In short, they're getting a playmaker. They're getting a go-up-and-get-it kind of guy that's going to win one-on-one, which is what that offense is built to create and what it's built to do. When it's third and six to beat Georgia, you go to him. You, you create a one-on-one to give him a chance. Now, as a true freshman, is that the case? I don't know. Very well could be. But they were fired up to get him a guy that could play both sides of the line of scrimmage in terms of playing defensive back as well. But they love him a wide receiver and think he is a special talent, and a lot of other schools did as well. So what does this mean for Tennessee long-term? What does it say about where they're at as a program? I think there's a lot to unpack with this one, so I want to make sure we do that. 
Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about bird dogs here a little bit. And bird dogs, I'm going to pull out my, my product right here. Bird dogs is bringing you the hard count today. And there's a couple things that I love about bird dogs. The first is they feel great. Okay? They feel really, really good. They're extremely functional. And for me, like, it's just a fact. If you work out, you feel better about life. If you lift weights, the, the sun shines brighter, the sky is more blue, the birds are singing, like, life is good. So in order to do that, you got to have the right tools to work out, okay? And bird dogs provides the right look, the right style, the right comfortable feel. It's, it's nice and flexible. It's not those stiff shorts you sometimes have to work out in that don't have enough give to you. So when you get under that squat bar, when it's time to feed the wolf by hitting leg day, bird dog's right here, man. I'm telling you, look at this. Look at this stretch. Look at this stretch. You got some nice liner in there. We're going to take care of you. Look good, feel good, work out good. Everything's good is what I'm trying to tell you. So what we're going to do here, Provide a little, a little promo code. Use code JD at checkout when checking out at birddogs.com. Get you a nice little Yeti-esque kind of tumbler with a Bird Dogs logo on it. Real nice. I'm telling you, you won't want to take them off. Best in the game, Bird Dogs. Appreciate them taking care of us here. So, as I was saying a second ago, when it comes to Tennessee and what this means for them, I go back to what I was saying a second ago. You look at what they've done when it comes to who they won Mike Matthews over. Beat out Georgia for him. Beat out USC for him. Beat out Clemson for him. That is a major indicator of where this team is at right now. And I want to make sure I say this loud and clear. You don't land Mike Matthews if you win the Music City Bowl again this coming season. You don't land Mike Matthews if your offense doesn't score over 40 points a game and look as explosive as they did and beat Alabama like all that. That all added into the ripple effect of landing a top five wide receiver in the entire country that is Mike Matthews. And so I think the encouraging thing, if I'm a Tennessee fan, is, okay, the brand and the product is starting to really speak for itself. We're seeing the ripple effects of that double-digit win season, that New Year's Six Bowl victory, that win against Alabama. Like, you recognize that power to you in a different fashion now if you're a recruit. And so for Tennessee, I think they're breathing new air on the recruiting trail because you have the right resources. I think you have the right people involved in the operation. You definitely got the right head coach in Josh Heupel. You got a product there that is, like I said, speaking for itself. You have people that care about the program that are putting into the program what is required to recruit how they're recruiting. Tennessee, I don't know if y'all are seeing this right now, they jumped up into the top 10 in the on three industry team recruiting rankings. In the top 10, Tennessee. And I don't think they're done, to be real with y'all. I think they are still on the hunt. And so what does this mean for them now? A couple of things. Obviously, anytime you see Mike Matthews, a five-star wide receiver, commit to a school, you take an extra look at that spot, whether you're a defensive back, whether you're another player on the offensive side of the ball, whatever you are, you look at Tennessee differently saying, huh, five-star wide receiver, choosing Tennessee? That's big time. That's big time. I probably want to go play with him. I maybe want to take my talents to go align with him because that gives us a good chance to score some points and probably win a lot of football games is the expectation there. But even so, I think it positions Tennessee, we've said this a couple of times, Big Mo is in the building, is the positioning of Tennessee right now. They, they got the momentum right now on the recruiting trail. And the next step for Tennessee is going to be consistency on the field, have another double-digit win season, go and beat a team like Georgia or Alabama or whoever it ends up being, have another signature moment, signature when you can sell to recruits on the recruiting trail. And then when that happens, when you have consistency on the field, that typically means you have consistency from a development standpoint, which pairs well with consistency on the recruiting trail. 
So consistency on the field yields to consistency on the recruiting trail, which then means what? You're stacking classes. And that was the difference in Athens last year. Make no mistake about it. When Tennessee and Georgia met up, Georgia had just stacked more top three classes than Tennessee, and that was the end of it. Like, that was really the difference in that game, the depth that they had. So for Tennessee, if they can build on this now, they can finish strong in this 2024 cycle, finish in the top 10. If they can continue to build off what they did last year on the field and then have that crescendo this coming season, then you have a chance to build that depth. And when you have depth of four and five stars in your two and three deep, then you're saying, okay, there's nothing we can't compete for. And you probably already feel that way right now in Knoxville, and I don't blame you based on who your head coach is and what your quarterback could be in 2023, but I just want to make this very, very clear. Tennessee, I believe, is a powder keg when it comes to the recruiting trail and what they could do on the field in 2023. So the vibes are immaculate right now in Knoxville, Tennessee. Had a lot of people in Tennessee circles absolutely juiced about Mike Matthews. I mean, I was last night at a, at a pizza joint, and a Tennessee fan came up to me and was like, hey, we got Mike Matthews. How about that? That's how they're feeling right now. And for a good reason. The vibes should be high if you're a Tennessee fan right now. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Appreciate everybody met that has already subscribed to the channel. Go ahead and like the video. We've got a streak going right now. 100 likes, 12 shows in a row before we get off the air. So if you could hit that thumbs up button for us, we'd keep this thing rolling and we'd keep that streak alive. Lucky number 13, all right? So thank you so much in advance for that and for getting that done. All right, we keep on rolling. Now the Pulse of the Program series continues. We make our way over to Columbia, South Carolina. And the South Carolina Gamecocks are going to be on the mic today at SEC Media Days. We're going to hear from Shane Beam. We're going to hear from Spencer Rattler. And the feeling within South Carolina, I mean, the vibes are high there as well. I mean, Shane Beamer is through and through a program guy. No other way to say it. And the way they finished last year has them thinking even better in 2023. If they can pick up where they left off offensively. And the trend has been steady for South Carolina since Shane Beamer's been there. They won seven games in 2021, eight wins in 2022. And so the pulse internally with that fan base is, okay, what are we? What are we here at South Carolina? And it's kind of the same as when you determine a relationship, right? You can, you know, see some potential in someone and y'all can talk for a while and you can maybe go on a couple of dates, but there's, there's a certain point in time where you're like, okay, well, what is this actually? Because, you know, dating is fun. We can go on a date, but, like, what are we going to be? We're going to put a label on this thing. And I think that's the same thing for South Carolina if you're in that fan base. Seven wins is great. Eight wins is great. I mean, we were 2-8 and eight before Shane Beamer got here. That's probably the approach from that 2020 season. That's, that's the feeling you would have coming from that year. But now with that steady trend, you're like, okay, it's, it's cool to win that many games. We're excited about that. But what are we going to be going forward? What are, what are we going to be as a fan base? Are we going to be a team that wins seven games every year, or are we going to be a team that takes that next step and we sneak up on a national title contender in Georgia early in the year? We go and win nine games. We beat Tennessee for the second year in a row. Like, like what is the vibe for South Carolina? I think they're looking to find out exactly what that product is going to be year in and year out in Columbia. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. We talk ball here every single day. We're also on podcasts wherever you get them. Apple, Spotify, however you get down, you can find the hard count. So make sure you type in the hard count with J.D. Pacquiao, subscribe to that feed, and we'll just keep this thing rocking and rolling. Thank you so much in advance for that. Now, internally, the feel of South Carolina, I think the feel is 
the same as, as we mentioned with that fan base, as these things often go, there's some overlap there, but internally they're asking the same question, but it's more of a future thinking thought. What are we is the, is the sentiment, but even more so they're saying, what is South Carolina going to be after we leave for the guys in that locker room? For a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's not going to be back at South Carolina after this coming season. What, what kind of legacy are we leaving? What is the foundation of South Carolina football? Because going into year three, you now have, for the most part, your personnel, if you're Shane Beamer and how you've recruited and used the portal. You have your standards. You have your culture. Like the first two years, you're kind of trying to get it together and did a really good job doing that, did South Carolina. But now in year three, it's like, okay, what, what are we? What do we want to be? What do we want South Carolina to be set up to be in the future? Because when it comes to what they've done the past two years, they're excited about that. It's a step in the right direction, but it's not what Spencer Rattler came back for. He didn't come back to win eight football games. He came back to go and play for New Year's Six. Well, he came back to have a shot at making some noise in the SEC. And if you think they're shooting for anything lower than that, you're out of your mind. That's not what Spencer Rattler came back for. That's not the standard Shane Beamer as a true competitor is holding his locker room to. And so what this depends on for me, what this comes down to for South Carolina, a couple of things. The first of which being, you got to be sturdy on the offensive line and the defensive line. Defensive line could not stop the run. Offensive line was not consistent protecting Spencer Rattler. And in the SEC, y'all, a line of scrimmage league, y'all know this as well as anybody else in the country, that is essentially like paying rent. To exist competitively in this conference, you have to be sturdy on the lines of scrimmage. No ifs, ands, or buts. No other way around it. That is, the, that is the deal. Okay? That's step one. The second piece of that is Spencer Rattler picking up where he left off at. Now, I mentioned the first part because I think it's more crucial to South Carolina long term. And I think you see a better version of Spencer Rattler if you protect him. But even so, man, he's not without fault. We saw a different Spencer Rattler the last couple of weeks of the season than we did September to October. It's just the way it was put the ball in harm's way, wasn't really making consistent decisions that were all the time good for, for South Carolina. I need to see him be consistent. I need to see him cash in. If you put a run game behind him and you want to protect him, I think you can ask whatever you want of Spencer Rattler. If you're going to equip him with the right tools to succeed, you then expect him to succeed because he's got all the arm talent. I mean, he was as highly touted as anybody coming out of high school in Arizona. There was a ton of buzz around him at, at Oklahoma. You saw him do phenomenal things that New Year's Six Bowl game against Florida. There was a lot of people saying he was going to be the number one pick. A lot of people saying he was going to win the Heisman Trophy after that bowl game. One thing led to another. Loses his job to Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a generational talent. Like, a whole other conversation. But the bottom line is, you've seen what's under the hood with Spencer Rattler. You've seen the ability. You've seen him do it before. It's not just potential. There's some, there's some real-life things that he's accomplished but he has to be the guy to be able to capitalize for them to take that next step, to get over eight wins or to get back to eight wins even. Now, I want to make sure that we say this, though, for, for South Carolina as a whole. Yes, there's the question of what are we. Yes, there's the expectations that are high based on how you finish the year and you love Shane Beamer. A couple of things I would say, though. I would not lose sleep over two things, the first of which being do we have the right head coach? You have as good a head coach as there is in the country, in my humble opinion. You won two games before Shane Beamer got there. You've won seven and eight the two years he's been there. Overachieved according to Vegas. He's a guy that is going to recruit, which is the lifeblood of college football. Right now, South Carolina has eight four-stars committed. Top 20 class. I expect them to climb. You have to do that in the SEC. Talent doesn't guarantee wins, but not having talent guarantees losses, in my opinion. 
So that's the first thing. The other piece of this is I don't think you lose sleep over what other teams in your conference are doing. Like, it does you no service to look at Georgia and say, man, we got to do what Georgia's doing. Or to look at Tennessee and, man, Josh Heupel put it together so quickly. How did they do that? Don't look at that. Run, run, run your race. Be excited about the fact that you have Shane Beamer and he is going to recruit his tail off and he's got a culture that is second to none. And the way you finished last year, I think, should be proof of what he's doing and what he's capable of at South Carolina. You got to take the same approach that we take on this very show. I mean, there's, I mean, you can get caught up in any kind of rat race in your professional career, whatever it is. You don't worry about Jimmy from accounting. Jimmy from accounting ain't you. And when you lay your head on the pillow at night, Jimmy from accounting has got nothing to do with it. Okay, you run your race. You don't worry about Tennessee. You don't worry about Georgia. Don't worry about LSU. Run your race because South Carolina was in a different position than Brian Kelly when he took the LSU job. Shane Beamer at South Carolina, his, couple, his first couple of years at South Carolina, not the same deal as when Josh Heupel took the job at Tennessee. There's, there's different scenarios here, different rosters, different luck through the transfer portal. Run your race. But I feel extremely confident if I'm a South Carolina fan that we have got a guy to take us to where we eventually want to go. You're in it for the long haul now. You're building in the most difficult conference in college football. You're not building in the Pac-12. No knock on the Pac-12. I love the Pac-12. You're not building in the ACC. I love the ACC. You're building in an absolute gladiator-style conference where you've got to bring it every single week or you're holding that L. And that's just the reality for South Carolina. So for the post of the program for South Carolina, they're asking, hey, what are we? Let's define what we're going to be if we're internal. That fan base, they're saying, what are we? What are we rooting for? We're rooting for, for six wins? Rooting to just get the over of six and a half wins that Vegas is throwing at us? Or we're rooting for eight or nine wins? What are we going to be? as a fan base, what we're rooting for, and as a product on the field within that locker room and that coaching staff. But for South Carolina, man, I'm excited to see what they be. I'm a Coach Beamer fan. There's no other way around it. And I think he's going to be the right guy for them in the long haul. Again, appreciate everybody that's tuned in live right now. Again, we're on podcast. We're Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them. You can find the hard count. We talk ball every day. We are so, so close from the college football season starting, so make sure you're locked in. Now, get in those questions, those thoughts, those concerns, those takes to the keeper of the queue, Nick, heavy lifter break. We're going to have a real good time chopping it up. Nick, how we doing, man? Kickball game last night. Got the dub? We got the win, J.D. Uh, You know, I'll take what I can get, but I wasn't the best getting the base like I have been in the season, man. You're just doing, you're doing the dirty work, man. You're doing yeah. what it takes for your team to be successful. Yeah. Uh, well, and there's, there's no shame in that, man. There's, there's zero no shame. shame in that. Yeah. yeah. We won, though. That's all that matters, man. Two and two. Program guy. A fresh start, man. I absolutely um, love it. JD, by the way, you're going to have to plug the likes because we are in uh, some serious jeopardy right now. Of wow. Losing a streak of, of like 12 shows. Okay. All right. Well, hey, we'd love to get lucky number 13. There's a thumbs up icon under the video. The goal was 100, and we've hit that 12 shows in a row. So the ball is in your court. We trust the program. Have nothing but confidence in y'all. If you could like the video before we get off air, be phenomenal. It would help us, and we keep the streak alive. So thank you in advance for that. We're on the quest for lucky number 13. So thank you so much for that. What, uh, what's the good people in the chat saying, Nick? What we got? Uh, well, Gambino says, uh, J.D., do you think the lack of a bull ban has helped Mike or helped land Mike for Tennessee? Seems like he made his commitment – Right at, or he dropped his decision to commit, I should say, right after the decision to not have a bull ban uh, seemed to drop. You know, I think I don't think it hurt things. I think if they were to get a bull ban, 
I would imagine there'd be some second thoughts with Mike Matthews picking Tennessee, but we sat down with him at the NIL Elite Series event that we put on here in Nashville, did on three, and we talked to him, and before we got rolling here, Josh Newberg has this tremendous story where we pull up his RPM, which is predicting where he could potentially go to school, and at that point in time, I believe it was Clemson that was atop the bunch. Maybe he was just coming off a visit from Clemson, and, and Clemson was getting a lot of smoke, and Josh asked him, he said, hey, man, is this right to you? Tennessee was, I think, third at that point in time in his RPM. He says, man, I think maybe they, points to Tennessee, should be a little bit higher on the list. So Josh, sure enough, puts in a pick for Tennessee, and last night Mike Matthews puts in his commitment to Tennessee. So I don't know that it would have – I don't know that he was waiting on the decision to see if they were making a bowl or not, but I do believe that it probably would have given him some hesitations. But I think it was Tennessee the whole way for him really since that point in time. So Mike Matthews going to Tennessee, and I'm sure Vol fans are extremely excited about it. Uh, J.D., the Rob Smith – uh, was going to ask a question, but says he kind of answered it already in the show. Uh, was going to ask how good could Spencer Rattler be this season if his offensive line and his receivers gave him even more help here in 2023? No, I mean, I, I think on the money, I mean, like, like I said, we talked about it just a little bit, but the ability is so evidently there for Spencer Rattler. Like, you, you don't second guess if he has enough arm talent or if he can make the throws, like, Dude, he can make the throws. The question is, can he make good decisions? And there's been so much frustration with him with making good decisions, and it's not unfair, but I think it is incomplete because we didn't protect him well for South Carolina. Juice Wells really came on, you know, towards the end of the year. They really started going to him. It was a new offensive coordinator. Like, there's a lot of things that went into, I think, his lack of success early on, and it kind of clicked late. But if they could protect him, I think you can expect – what you saw at Oklahoma from him. I think that's fair. My, my issue with expecting and blaming Spencer Rattler for the, the issues for South Carolina, it's hard to blame a guy when he doesn't have tools for success. If you're not protecting him and you're not giving him a run game to take some, some pressure off of him, like if that's the case, I don't know how you expect him to then go out and just put the team on his shoulders. Shane Beamer was at SEC Media Days last year and very, very explicitly said, we are not going to ask Spencer Rattler to be Superman. And then throughout the course of the season, they asked him to be Superman. So I think for Spencer Rattler, he can be as good as the help around him and has all the ability in the world to to be really, really explosive like we saw at the end of last year. Uh, J.D., question coming up from Here Comes the Closer. Best defensive secondary in the SEC in 2023. Man, it's so tough to go against Georgia. I'm going to say Georgia. I think the surprise sneaky pick is Alabama. Alabama with Caleb Downs, with Kool-Aid McKinstry. They got a lot of dudes that are going to do a lot of things on Sundays when it's all said and done. So I go Georgia first, even though they do lose Keely Ringo, and then I'll go Alabama second, which would be a massive improvement and would do a ton for confidence in Tuscaloosa for the college football playoff hopes. Okay, J.D., one more question, but first, shout-out Notre Dame Blue and Gold in the chat. You rock, J.D. Good people uh, at Blue and Gold, man. Oh, good it's people. It's good to have them around. Um, but last question coming up from James Henson, can we get you, A.D., another year of eligibility so you could come to the Gamecocks? What do you say? Man, like the old graphic that was going around where it was fresh out of and then it was, you know, a, a city that you were from. I'm fresh out of eligibility. That's where I'm at right now. If I, if I could play the game again, I would do it in a heartbeat. Nothing like college football. Nothing like running out of the tunnel on a Saturday afternoon and being able to go run it up with your boys for four quarters. Unfortunately, though, 
no longer a possibility for me. But with that being said, there is a very, very good chance we will find ourselves at some point in time in Columbia on the sideline, but not in uniform. So hope we get out to Columbia. Hope we get out to Willie B because we've heard electric things about what they got going on Saturdays. That should be a lot of fun to track. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to a game. Unfortunately, though, Nick, don't think we'll be in uniform for that one. Okay, man, that's it. You want one more? No, got- man, that's great. That's great, brother. I appreciate you holding it down. Unless you got one more that you're like, man, this is this is a banger. I need to get this. Well, in. I'll lead. On, I'll head out, but I'll ask you this as I leave. Uh, from Mark, uh, who what quarterback will lead the SEC in total touchdowns? JD, man. I love that, Nick. Thanks so much, brother. Hey, great work. Big kickball dub. Team first guy. Don't care about stats, even though you got good stats. One stat you care about, and that's getting the W. Yeah, Appreciate man. you, Nick. We'll see you back in the studio on Tuesday. That's a program guy through and through. Nick, heavy lifter, break. Trey Andy, not on the mic, but on the ones and twos, making everything you see here, here happen as well. It is a monster operation to get it going at a remote setup. And these two gentlemen absolutely have knocked it out of the park. So huge shout out to them. To answer that question, who will have the most total touchdowns? Man, if we're just going from a you know statistical perspective, I think Joe Milton's going to be in a great spot to put up a lot of touchdowns. I mean, they're going to throw the ball around the yard. They're going to utilize his legs. My answer for that would be Joe Milton. I would keep in a close eye on Jaden Daniels because we know what he brings to the table with his legs, and we know what he is hoping to do vertically this year. They got some dudes on the outside of LSU. So I'll say Joe Milton with a close eye to what Jaden Daniels is going to do as well. Uh, y'all, we appreciate you rocking with us. We appreciate y'all being here with us at SEC Media Days. Make sure you like the video on your way out because we're talking about every single day all the way through college football season. The game don't stop. Y'all don't stop as fans. We don't stop right here. Again, appreciate y'all being tuned in. Subscribe on the podcast feed as well. Take the Twitter fingers. Make them podcast fingers. Type in the hard count with J.D. Pacquiao. Find us on there. Subscribe, Ray, all that good stuff. We appreciate y'all, man. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.